0: I'm Anya. And I'm Scarlet. Come inside the flaming
1: Yoni. And experience the pussy as God.
0: <laughs> I love. Hi, yoni. How are you? Oh, my gosh. I am so excited. We are deep into March now. We are in Women's History Month. I, I know. And even. the year is flying. It is absolutely flying, and I also just want to
1: point out that I love how I start every episode like I haven't seen you in forever, and I talk to you on FaceTime or Zoom (laughs) most days, but like we've been on for an hour, and it's feeling Mm. brand new again already. Um, No, you just brought up Women's History Month, and I just want to highlight for our listeners that... First of all, if you don't follow Scarlett and I on social media, you really should. You can find our Instagram handles and Twitter handles in our show notes. But I would like to highlight for you that very recently, our dear Scarlett has decided that she's willing to show her face on social media. And on International Women's Day, you posted a picture of yourself looking so (laughs) fucking hot. In this green strappy getup, which would also go really well for St. Patrick's Day, which is day after tomorrow. We're recording this on March 15th. And I want to know about that outfit. Well, maybe I, I need you to, to put it on it. for
0: our Slut Sister sesh, which is going to be happening that
1: day. <gasps> oh, yeah, we have our first yeah. Slut Sister happy hour on St. Patty's. Yes. Okay, so that's a, that's a <laughs> request. Please wear that. And yeah,
0: uh, I am really excited about putting my face out at a pace and in spaces that feel good to me we've talked a little bit uh on the show about this kind of gradual uh uncovering that we've been doing i mean i remember when you showed your face on your insta the first time i texted you immediately first it was time, like yeah. huge 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 so um yeah that lingerie set is incredible it is from a brand called Nipslid, which i was at an event and i saw like this gorgeous gorgeous lingerie set on a woman and I was like is that like I dropped some high-end brand and she was like no this is Nip Slip it's a female-owned brand black-owned brand and I was like I need I need I need this need this in my life um so Nip Slip Mm -hmm. has these beautiful pieces they're usually multi-layer you've got like your garter and your uh, harness and like every piece on it is just immaculate um this is not an ad. I mm. am an affiliate with them. So I can save you a little coin and get me a free lingerie set <laughs> a little bit quicker. Um, but I really would love for you guys to check them out. It's nipslip.com. And I have a code. The code is what else would it be? Salacious. So if you put salacious in at checkout, mm. you'll save 7%. And yeah, go go and check them out. But Anya, I am I am mm. like freaking out right now. This is what we're about to do
1: <laughs> are you so excited for i like truly believe tonight? that what
0: we're doing right now is groundbreaking for like so many there's so many yeah. levels for why it's groundbreaking but here i am sitting here recording this with you and my healthcare provider is here with us how cool is that like it's
1: so amazing i mean you texted me first thing this morning <laughs> and i'm like i'm like so excited for tonight and i get it because you know what the vast majority of us don't have is a healthcare provider that we can be fully transparent with about our movement through a non-normative lifestyle, a sexually open lifestyle. And it is it is groundbreaking to be able to do that, to be able to bring a conversation to our listeners with somebody who is not afraid to hit these, hit these topics and to address all of this stuff. And I couldn't be more excited for you and for our listeners and for myself.
0: Let me formally introduce you to my sexual health care provider, Maggie White. She is a family nurse practitioner, and she brings 12 years of experience in community health and HIV primary care and research and is certified by the American Academy of HIV Medicine and, and as an HIV specialist. Her other clinical interests include hepatitis C, sexual health, and gender-affirming care. Throughout her career, Maggie has shown an unwavering commitment to providing high-quality, personalized care. She's a perfect addition to the team where she works, and she has an undergraduate degree in biology from the University of Texas at Austin and in nursing from the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. So without any further ado, hey, Maggie, welcome to the Flaming Yoni.
2: Hi, ladies How are you all? Happy St Patrick's Day, Eve, Eve.
1: Oh, my gosh, We're so good, and we are only so good because you're here with us tonight, and we're so excited to talk with you. Even as Scarlett was reading the introduction. I'm like, oh, I want to talk about this, and I want to talk about this because I know we don't have enough time in the world to scratch all the surfaces that we want to, but h i v specialist, gender affirming care. So many things that we want to talk about tonight on the show. And we're so grateful you're here with us. I'm
2: happy to talk about as much as we can.
0: So I want to just give the listeners uh, a little history on how I met Maggie. Um, You know, I have been... In what we call the lifestyle, I have been pursuing sex uh, through non-monogamy for several years now, and I've always had a really strong desire to be ethical and to take really good care of myself but we all know that there are a lot of barriers <laughs> when it comes to taking care of ourselves especially when we are sexually active with multiple partners and we want to like have that healthcare provider to be right there with us i always wanted that but it felt impossible to me you know i would see my obgyn and i would call up to get tested and they'd be like well didn't you just get tested 2 months ago like you you want to come get tested again and i was like yeah I, I do you know and so there were these barriers to entry and then my healthcare providers would be like you know it, this doesn't sound you know i don't really know anything about this but you know just use condoms and i don't really want to hear anything more about it and i just start to, started to get so disillusioned with the experience i was having with my healthcare providers that i i decided to look into like home testing options or like pay for yourself testing options. I tried both of those things and it just felt so like isolating and disheartening that I didn't like have somebody to call if I had questions or if the labs were taking a long time. And so like even though I was so kind of discouraged, I made a decision that I was going to try again. And the reason why I wanted to try again is because I had be, been become aware of prep for HIV prevention, and you know I was beginning to give it some thought, and I was thinking to myself like, why wouldn't I, a person who has sex with multiple partners, be on prep? Like, you know, I, I'm a I'm a woman, and I'm bisexual. You know, and I do have multiple partners, but I just feel like PrEP isn't really marketed to me. And I was wondering why, when it seems like a no-brainer to remove the opportunity for me to, you know, get infected with HIV, to just reduce those chances dramatically almost down to zero. And so I decided that I wanted to find a healthcare provider that I could um, get on PrEP and start a PrEP regimen. And also just have that person to be like a point of contact for all of my sexual health. And again, I'm like, am I dreaming here? Like, is this possible? Um, and so I, I found a local community health clinic. I'm a big proponent of community health clinics. They do incredible work and I went in and I made a prep appointment. I actually filled out the form online and, um, and the first provider i i saw wasn't maggie and i think it was like my second or third appointment because when you're on prep you go in and you do do labs and i met her and at that time i still got really bad testing anxiety and like within a few minutes of being in your presence any testing anxiety i had was like out the window because we were like laughing (laughs) we were You were, like, cracking jokes, and I was hysterically laughing, and I was, like, oh, my God, like, I love this woman. I was, like, she gets me. Like, I feel like I can be fully open with her about everything, and ever since then, we've been rolling strong, and at this point, like I told you the other day, if you go anywhere... I, if you go to Sri Lanka, I'm following you. Like,
2: Let's oh go. Let's take it on tour. Oh, yeah,
0: seriously, let's. So I'm so happy to be here with you, Maggie. So, like, yeah. tell me, what what made you decide to get into this arena of medicine? Um, mm-hmm. Why did you want to work with sexual health and HIV?
2: Well, I always like to tell people that I work in sex and infection. And, I mean, th- that just sounds so much cooler than cardiology or or, like, GI. I mean, what am I going to sit and talk about cholesterol all day? I mean, sex is so much more exciting, but you kind of, or you alluded to it in the beginning. I'm an HIV specialist and I think HIV has, it was sort of a, almost like in the eighties, it was like a misfit um, specialty because HIV was a disease that was, that was affecting people that society didn't like. The, they. Gay men, you know, trans people, sex workers, people who use IV drugs, a lot of different things like that. And so it was a patient population people didn't want to touch. And then the people that wanted to take care of them were kind of separated from from everybody else in mainstream medicine. So I, I think that field in and of itself, it just were wired a little bit differently, I think, than than mainstream medicine. Now, the caveat to all of this is I think mainstream medicine, you know, writ large should be offering PrEP, which stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. So it's HIV prevention. So I don't think it should be a niche clinical thing, but it still is in a lot of cases. Um, but yeah, so I started off working in HIV. And um, with HIV, because it's a sexually transmitted disease, there's other sexually, sexually transmitted diseases because it disproportionately affects Non-conform gender non-conforming people, transgender, especially trans women, the the incidence of HIV is sadly much higher than the general population. You know, we have a lot of experience working with the trans population, and so with that, I'm like, well, you know, we're kind of like, hey, well, nobody's doing your hormones, let's do your hormones too. Well, if are you having sex? Because we're talking about HIV, that's an STD. Let's talk about other STDs. So I, I think just being in that environment sort of like I said, we're wired a little bit differently. I also think when you're looking at HIV, people who work in HIV that start off in HIV, the majority of us have a personal connection to HIV. And and I think, and, and it's not always the case, but I think a lot of us were have been personally touched by HIV. One of my best friends was diagnosed with HIV when I was very young, and that always pushed me into the field. I knew I wanted to work in public health. I knew I wanted to be A nurse. My mother was a professor of nursing, so I had these really great role models. But really, it was when I was in my very very early twenties, and one of my best friends was diagnosed that it all kind of solidified. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is what I want to do." And so I've been doing it ever since, which is a blessing. Mm,
1: You're a blessing. You're a blessing. (laughs) (laughs) You're a blessing to the people that come see you and that you work, you know, kind of alongside of as they journey through all of this stuff because it is. It is. is It's an area that none of us know how to step into. I mean, when when Scarlett was recounting how she had stepped through her journey of testing and getting tested often, I, I was the same. I basically found a subscription service where I could get, get a test kit every few months because I didn't want to have to disclose to my OB who I'd seen forever from the time that I was in a monogamous marriage. And, and then when I stepped into a more non-normative lifestyle, I needed to be able to disclose things that I just wasn't prepared to discuss. And just mm-hmm. the way that you met her with openness and with laughter and with an with an immediate ability to just recognize, you know, we're all the same. We just all have to kind of figure out our way through all of this. I just think it's I just think it's really heartwarming, and I love knowing that you exist because maybe it means that there's a doctor that exists for me too.
2: There are there's, there's a few of us out there, and I mean, to be honest, it's so much more fun to like relate to somebody on a human level. And, and, you know, we can walk in and and be very paternalistic and have our white coats and our stethoscopes on, or we can just kind of chat, meet people where they are, give people advice. And it's, it's much more fun to be friendly with people and and really build relationships with our patients than it is to just be kind of judgy and, and whatnot. But it still happens, unfortunately. No, and it
1: sounds like you work with such an interesting cross-section of the world. And I I love that too. I mean, obviously for the listeners of The Flaming Yoni, we love everybody here. We love men and women, however you identify, whatever your preference is, you're welcome. But we love Mm (laughs) femmes. And I'm wondering when, in your practice, do you see a disproportionate, um, you know, kind of audience of fems over masculine identifying folk, or do you just see the whole gamut?
2: I see the whole gamut, but my patient population is still predominantly men, cisgender men, um, gay men, and then I have a pretty large trans population, trans men, trans women, non-binary, but, um, and honestly, that's why I get really excited when people like Scarlet come into my clinic, because I'm like, we need, more people. We need more women. I need more representation, more fem people, um, trans feminine, because it's, especially when you're talking about HIV prevention, it's a field that is traditionally, and, and rightfully so for a lot of reasons, initially marketed towards, and we say in medicine, we say MSM, which means men who have sex with men. And it's kind of a catch-all because, you know, you can have sex with men and not necessarily be gay. So if, if I say that, because I, I know I'm probably going to just subconsciously say that, or not subconsciously, routinely say that. But that's what I mean with MSM. But HIV prevention started off focusing on that audience, which obviously you want to start prevention in the population that can benefit the most from it. But I think femme people, women, trans feminine, cis women, trans women, everybody in that umbrella kind of fell to the wayside when, I mean, PrEP was approved over a decade ago, Mm. y'all. Wow. True. It was the first medication approved for PrEP. I remember when the paper was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. It was August, 2012. We were waiting for it to drop. We were like, holy shit, this is huge. You know, for those of us that have been treating HIV patients and telling people, I mean, I've spent a lot of time telling people they have HIV and to be able to have something where I can say, let's empower you to not get HIV. Like it's, it's huge. And 10 years later, there are still so many misconceptions. And I, I have women patients that are like, I didn't think I could get that. Like, I thought that was just for men. I thought that was only if you're gay. Oh, wow. or, or I thought that was, you know, I'm married. I'm in a monogamous relationship. I don't think that's for me.
0: Mm.
2: For anybody. Anybody can do PrEP safely. There's, there's options for everybody. Yeah. Wow. Babe, why don't you walk us through your journey of making that decision
1: to step into that world of PrEP?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was, that was really powerful. Uh, Maggie. So like, powerful. yeah, I, I too, um, I had an uncle die when I was very young of AIDS, uh, in the early nineties. And I, um, just knew my entire life that there was this person that like my mother adored. Uh, it was, uh, they were cousins and like I never got to know to know him. Like, and he died so young, you know, from this disease that like now I understand that, like we have, you know, science and medicine has advanced so much that we have prep and we have great treatments, right? And like the the travesty of that, and also understanding the responsibility that comes with a sexually active person. And just loving myself enough and caring about my partners enough to do everything in my arsenal, right? Everything I can do. Because when you live, you know, a a lifestyle that is, uh, you know, based in non-monogamy and it's not pursue sex and pleasure non-normatively, there's an inherent risk that comes with that. Uh, That's just life. Like, no risk, no reward, right? And so I was like, what steps can I take to mitigate? my risk and like Maggie and everybody at her clinic because like everybody at her clinic are awesome the MAs like everybody made it so simple and walked me through the whole process and I started taking oral truvada um which I find so interesting as a woman like we as women are so used to taking a daily pill many of Thank us are on birth control it. we've been doing this since we were
2: 16. You know this gig. I'm going to briefly interject yeah. and just point out how quickly does I'll say mainstream medicine push birth control on, on women oh, or people persons of childbearing potential. I mean, it's not even an, they're like, Oh, don't you want to regulate your period here? Like it's, it's, it's not even a question you walk in for an OB or a, a GYN appointment or a pap smear, you get a birth control prescription unless you say you don't want to. Right. Or if you have bad cramps as a 14 year old. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, absolutely you want, skin. I mean, it's, it's, it's not even an issue, or at least normally wasn't maybe in certain States <laughs> more of an issue yeah, now, we'll,
0: but we'll, we'll, we'll get table to that. that for yeah, for time. sure. But yeah, the, so it, it just made sense to me and there wasn't at any point like where I felt like, oh, well, this isn't for me or I don't have to do this or I'm scared of the side effects. I have had zero mm-hmm. side effects None. Mm. And Love working it. with Maggie, we talked about the fact that I was eligible for um, the injectable prep, which is called Apertude, right, Maggie? Yes, Apertude. I'm Trying to impress you so much. Okay, so, <laughs> so Maggie, tell us a little bit about Apertube, which is the prep I'm on.
2: Apertube, which is the prep you're on, which you pronounced perfectly. And as many of you know, in medicine, we like to use a lot of big words, we give everything multiple names. So the generic name for Apritude is cabotegravir. It's the same thing. We just it's all smoke and mirrors so you think we're much smarter than we are. But Apritude was approved a little over a year ago. So it was January 2022. It might have been December 21, but it was right around there. And it is the first long-acting injectable medication for treatment of prep. It was actually found to be superior to Truvada. So Truvada was the first, the oral daily medication in HIV prevention. But, you know, when they looked at the clinical trials, um, really by and large the people on the pill arm who did get HIV, it's because they weren't taking the pill. So um, compliance. I mean, you have to, I tell my patients, you got to put it in your mouth and swallow. Anyhow, Aptude, so it's an injectable medication. It is a booty shot. And it's over 99% effective. It's very safe. It's very well tolerated. And it's a shot once you get on the yeah. maintenance period. It's every two months. In the very beginning, you get one and then you get the second one a month later. And after that, you come in every two months. So it's six visits a year. It's, I mean, it's quick. It's, it's as long as it takes, you know, for you to drop your pants and get a shot and then walk out the door. We do do HIV testing at every visit because that's really important with any type of PrEP is to make sure that you're you know, monitoring HIV status. And I, I truly believe that PrEP, it's not just the prescription. It's not just writing the pill. It's not just giving the shot. I think it's very important to have those conversations about sexual health and not like Hey, you're in a rush. You need to get back and work. Let me sit and like poke and prod, but just also make my patients know that we're here as a resource. And do you have questions? And do you need to screen for other STDs? And are you getting the right test? Are you getting a throat swab for chlamydia and gonorrhea? Can you do a rectal swab? Like it still blows my mind that those aren't the norm as far as, as STD testing. But yeah, we try to be like a one stop shop for sexual health and really, I mean, my. The the phrase I always try to use with my patients is my job is to teach you the good the bad and the ugly and it's your job to decide what you want to do. I just want to make sure that y'all have the information to make those choices and make the best choice for you. There's no right or wrong answer with prep, but you know if you want to do it, it's here. It's available.
0: And we do um, we do have some questions that our community submitted specifically about prep. Love it. But before we get into that, I just want to say that um, the. The relief and the peace of mind that I live with daily from making this decision for my health, I can't even like I can't even put it into words how grateful I am that I made this decision because not only do I have to live you know, do do I have to have like these anxieties or concerns? You know, if I I play without a condom and then, you know, I'm, oh my gosh. And now I got to call my healthcare provider who may not be able to see me for, you know, a week and I have to stress that whole week. I don't have to live with that anymore. I live knowing that A, I'm on prep. B, I have a healthcare provider that like Cares about me and will see me as soon as possible and will test me for everything. What do you call it, Maggie? You call it like the the full treatment, the full spa treatment?
2: Oh, like, yeah, we'll give you the full spa treatment, the deluxe package, work. Which I think
1: another thing we need to discuss is kind of what is normal, right? Like, what is the deluxe package versus what's the normal? Because people always think they know what, you know, like everything
2: they're getting tested for, but it's like a
1: couple things, you know?
2: Testing is important. And I think that's why. If you're seeing a healthcare provider who isn't asking you about your sexual activity when they're doing STD testing, if they're just picking off a prefix menu of the STD tests they run on everybody, they're doing you a disservice. And it's – I get it. It's hard to like just walk in a room. Hi, I just met you. Let me ask you about everything. Like what do you put where and what do you let people stick where in you and, and you know, what kind of symptoms are you having? Oh, by the way – oh, yes, my name is Maggie. That's right. I'm sorry. You didn't catch <laughs> that the first time. So do you have anal? Do you talk? <laughs> I want my healthcare practitioner asking me questions like this when I say, I want to be tested every few months, you know? different diseases that are transmitted differently, and I think – and I will – I get long-winded, but I I will say one of the biggest misconceptions is I – get people all the time. And I'm like, well, you have syphilis. And they're like, well, how? I always use condoms. I'm like, do you, honey, for oral sex? I mean, God bless you if you are. And I mean, absolutely. The the clinician in me, the healthcare provider, the public health person in me use condoms, use dental dams with oral sex, but that's usually not the I mean, we're all- You know how unlikely yeah, that no, is for the vast exactly. majority of the population. <laughs> get chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis from oral sex. So- Yeah, let's test you for it so we can fix it.
0: Oh, bless.
2: Can I start flying down there to see her?
0: I know. (laughs) Have I convinced you?
1: I feel like I need to be in Houston every few months
2: anyway. So why not? Get your food fixed and get your aptitude shot. Like, well, in fact, we'll have like a little travel agency, like a bespoke sexual health travel agency.
0: There you go. Yes, you are right? going to be making Houston a sexual health destination. Like I love it. <laughs> I love it and too. Because more people on prep, more people testing, always a good thing.
1: We're going to have our first sister soirée down there, and we'll have a pop up shop for Maggie. I'm,
2: you, you think <laughs> I'm? We'll do say the word, we can do rapid HIV testing. If you want HIV tests, hep C testing. We'll get our- your wash shots. We'll get your testing. We'll get you everything. Bring <laughs> and, and dental dams and do rapid HIV testing. And I'll give everybody information about prep. Like seriously, I love, that's my jam.
1: You know, you just said dental dams twice in about three minutes. I need you to talk a little bit about them because literally I'm 46 years old. I've never seen one. I've never used one. And it is not something that is, you know, really utilized in most sectors. So I just want to know a little bit more. And and is this something that obviously as a clinician, you're going to say, yes, that's yes. the safest thing to do. So I wouldn't expect you to say otherwise.
2: But what do they like? And like, tell us a little bit more. man. Y'all can't see me rolling my eyes on the camera. I, I kind of think of dental dams. And I mean, my God, I can probably count on one hand the numbers of times I've seen the number of times I've seen them. It's all been in a clinical setting, but (laughs) I kind of think of them like anchovies on pizza. They're really not for everybody. Most people don't like them, but I just want you to know if you're coming into my pizzeria that that's available. It's on the menu. And every now and then I get somebody that wants anchovies on their pizza and I'm like, God bless, you know, good good for you it's basically like a big piece of plastic that for somebody it's, it's for oral sex. That's not going to be, you know, with a phallus essentially. So you can just lay it over anything, um, you know, vagina, well, vulva. Um, you can use it for rimming. So anal sex or oral anal sex, tossing salad, medicine still hasn't come up. Yeah, hey, I might a- be in for that one. Right. And you can just cover it up and it, it, it's a barrier. It's a barrier, just like a condom. It's, you know, something that prevents transmission of anything um, from, you know, vulva to mouth or fecal, oral, we call it, which is a terrible sounding term. Again, medicine still is really behind on the terminology with stuff like this, which is funny because I kind of, it's, and I don't, this probably isn't the right term to use, but it, there's a lot of code switching depending on who I'm talking to and like what terms am I going to use? Because if I sit down and I'm like, well, are you having like, um, you know, anal oral contact or receptive anal intercourse and it's just like you know crickets so they're I like know, what what are you <laughs> being able to use the right terminology I'm giving a very long-winded answer about dental dams. Yeah. no about- that's okay because <laughs> my follow-up question is is saran wrap fine <laughs> there hasn't been as far as I'm aware in the literature a really great study like looking at saran wrap versus official dental dams but there is still some sort of barrier um yeah, than saran wrap it's not regulated, but if, if in a pinch, if that's something you want to do to give yourself some f- extra protection and you're sitting in the kitchen, you heard get it there. The honey, like go for it. You heard
0: it. DIY there dental dams.
2: DIY from T F Y. Yeah.
1: We got you. We got you covered. All right. So back to actually more serious questions.
0: Well, I think it would be a great time to move into some of the questions from our community, but I just really wanted to emphasize, if you are listening to this, especially if you're a fan, but if you're anybody listening, I have made myself pretty much available on my socials. If you have questions about prep that you would like to have from somebody who has been on it for almost two years and plans to be on it well into the future, reach out to me. I am more than happy to talk with you about it because we really should be seeing this so much more commonly and folks should feel assured that like this is a great step that you can take because like i want to see hiv ended in my lifetime like i i want to see the transmission of hiv ended in my lifetime and we can do that now (laughs) we you know we don't have to wait for a cure we can end the transmission with prep and you know with people who are HIV positive you know seeing excellent providers like Maggie and you know taking their med- medication cuz before we go into this will you talk a little bit about undetectable equals untransmissible yeah
2: I'm like sitting here I'm getting ready to blurt it out but you beat me to it so yeah HIV prevention and Scarlett you are 100% correct we have the tools today we could literally stop HIV today and the way we could do that is by everybody knowing their status That's the number one thing because if you're living with HIV and you know your status, then that empowers you to go get treatment. And HIV medication, it's – believe it or not, it's the one aspect of healthcare in the United States where probably you don't have to worry about paying a copay for that medicine. We can get you a $0 copay and there's money and there's funding involved and it's kind of how healthcare should be. So cost shouldn't be a barrier but – when you get on your medication you become what we call undetectable and we know when you are consistently undetectable and you're taking your hiv medication you cannot transmit hiv which is huge if you know your status you get on treatment you stay healthy you're going to have a long medically boring healthy life and you're not going to transmit hiv sexually conversely if you find out your status and you're not living with hiv if you know that you're potentially Um, And I hate using the term at risk because it sounds risky, but you could be exposed to HIV. If you want to protect yourself, get on PrEP. And if everybody was on medication or on PrEP, HIV would be dead in the water. It wouldn't have anywhere to go. I would be out of a job. I'd love it. I would, well, there'd be syphilis and gonorrhea, so I'd probably, (laughs) and high cholesterol. I'd I'd have to pivot. And I would be okay.
1: Wow. I mean, awesome. so much stuff to consider. And and like Scarlett said, we did get a, a handful of questions from our community. Some of them, I feel like you've probably answered a little bit with the PrEP piece, but somebody had asked what risk profile or activities put one in the recommendation to use PrEP.
2: What would you, how would you answer that? That's, yes a really good question because I think that was one of the biggest barriers for PrEP um, because the CDC guidelines initially had this like very um, concrete set of quote-unquote risk criteria and they're like this is who we recommend for PrEP. Um, You know I've always been of the mindset if you want it you can have it. My job is to make sure you're not paying an arm and a leg for it and PrEP should be free for the majority of people um, and that you're doing it safely. So I personally don't care what somebody's risk criteria is. Um, there's some places that, and I, I think one of y'all alluded to it in the beginning, or I think it was you, Scarlett, like going to the doctor or that your physician and asking for STD tests, and they're like, why do you need it? I, I think that's a pitfall we have with PrEP, where people are like, well, why do you need it? Why, why are you asking me for this? Or why do you think you're at risk for HIV? And truly, you don't need to be at risk. It's- whatever you think. I don't care. I don't have a checkbox. I'm not sitting there with some weird algorithm like, yes, you're worthy. No, you're not. I want you to know about it. And if it gives you peace of mind and you want to do it, get on it. And if you're seeing somebody that says you're not a good candidate for it or that you're not you know, active enough or, or something, and if you still want to get on it, then find somebody else because somebody should be out there to push. it. Absolutely. I mean,
1: I feel like this is a pretty basic question, but at the same time, I think it's a good question. Um,
2: one of our listeners has asked, if you mostly use condoms and are regularly tested, is PrEP necessary? It's not necessary. I mean, we know condoms can prevent HIV infection. Um, you know, I, uh, I tell my patients all the time, condoms can break. Um, condoms can somebody can take one off and maybe the other person doesn't even realize that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, sometimes we can get started and then go, oh shit, we need to use a condom. And then, you know, there could be like a little slip up in the beginning. And sometimes condoms don't seem like the best idea until the next morning. And you're like, "Mm." so there's always a little bit of gray area. However, I mean, if somebody consistently uses condoms, that's a very effective method of HIV transmission in and of itself. So I think as long as people know what their options are. I certainly don't think everybody has to be on prep, but there are so many people that are on condoms in on condoms, on prep and use condoms. Um you know cuz condoms yeah. are going to prevent other things. Sure. Preps only going to prevent HIV, but that's that's a big one to prevent.
1: It's a big one. Yeah. I think the last question yeah. that came through for the prep piece of things was mm-hmm. around either possible side effects or contraindicators with prep.
2: So there's Three different medications that are currently approved for PrEP in the United States, and I'm going to use their brand names. So there's two pills. There's Truvada and Descovy, and then there's the injection, which is Apritude. And each one has its own limitations and contraindications, but generally speaking, if you are – and it's not even an age limitation. Like oral PrEP, it's a weight limit. You have to be 75 kilograms, which is not a lot. So, I mean, you can be a teenager. Of course, there's other – laws involved with with minors but um there's no restrictions i I mean really it just depends on what is right for you um i will say that anybody that has receptive vaginal sex um, and and again i'm using kind of broad terms for simplicity Discovy, which is the new newer oral PrEP, which is very similar to Truvada, does not technically have the approval for that yet. So me, I'm a cisgender female, I'm a cisgender woman. And if I go in and I were to ask my physician for PrEP, if I'm having receptive vaginal intercourse, then I need to go on Apertude or Truvada. Um, so there's a few limitations, but again, most people can tolerate these medications. And again, these are Medications. I mean, Truvada was approved in maybe 2004 for treatment of HIV. So these are medications that have been battle-tested, so to speak, in very, very sick patients. And it's very well tolerated. The side effect profile is very low. And the other thing is, is I tell people on PrEP, you know, if you get on it, you have the luxury that my patients living with HIV don't have. You can stop. If it's not for you, Mm -hmm. move on. You tried it. That's great. But just know it's there and you can come back to it if you want.
0: Yeah and as I, I just you know speaking from my experience i have had zero side effects of any kind and like even the even the aptitude shot um which like you know you and a couple of the mAs warned me like it's kind of gnarly you know it's it, you'll be a little bit sensitive i like i don't even mind that like cuz it is a shot in the booty i guess having a big booty helps I don't know, but, uh, but yeah it's like literally so just so inconsequential in the broader spectrum of my mm-hmm. life like it's it's just something that i do to take care of myself mm-hmm. and you know it's interesting talking to women how frequently women think there may be an age limit yep. or like i try and collect all these questions and come to maggie but there there isn't any age limit mm-hmm. um you know again we've talked about gender like truly uh, you know if you want to be on prep it's more than likely that you can be on it. So I just wanted to add that. And, you know, we did ask our listeners, I wanted to know, um, I put a little poll up. I said, are you familiar with (laughs) PrEP? And the overwhelming, you know, number of people who completed this did say they were. So I was happy about that. There was only one person that said Mm -hmm. somewhat. So we're, we're getting there and we're getting the word out for sure. Um, so I also, uh, wanted to give our listeners an opportunity to ask questions about other STIs. And this is something that I had actually come to you about, Maggie, because it, it sounds really scary, these kind of antibiotic resistant yeah. strains of gonorrhea we're hearing about and chlamydia. Can you talk a little bit about what you know mm-hmm. about those? So the the big
2: concern right now is with gonorrhea, with um antibiotic resistant gonorrhea. There the cases have been very, 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 very limited. Um, a few in the UK and I think a few in Southeast Asia, not something that has made it to the U S by and large thus far. Um, There are antibiotics that are being developed for that. I was actually working on a clinical trial. um, I believe it was GSK for a a drug that's, or an antibiotic that's still in phase three trials called gyptodacin. So there are medications, antibiotics that are being developed. Um, You know, it's, with any antibiotic or with any bacteria, it develops the potential of antibiotic resistance or there is the potential of antibiotic resistance. Um, it's not as scary as it sounds. I think, I think people get very wrapped up about antibiotic-resistant gonorrhea, which is terrifying for sure, but there's a large section of people that will go to their Physician with a little sniffle and immediately demand a ZPAC and have no compunctions about, you know, drug resistant respiratory infections and, and macrolide resistance that a ZPAC can drive. So, you know, on the, on the large scale of things, it's not prevalent yet here in the United States. Um, it's on our radar. Thankfully it's not something we're witnessing and there's, there's antibiotics that are being developed for it.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for touching mm-hmm. on that Maggie. And here's another question that a listener submitted, um, can you speak on the levels of transmission of HSV-2 from oral sex? For example, if the receiver has HSV-2 on their genitals, how likely is transmission to a partner giving them oral? So HSV-2 from from genital to mm-hmm.
2: And I, I think with HSV, that's an excellent question. And my disclaimer with all things HSV is that the data, like the actual percentage is garbage. It's, there's just so many wild cards with it. Um, However, we think of HSV one and two, right? So HSV one usually being like cold sores, which is not sexually transmitted typically. I mean, you can have kids with cold sores because you can get it from sharing glass with somebody. HSV two being genital herpes. And I think we think of them as very compartmentalized, but Scarlett, you did an excellent um, example or, or you're Listener gave an excellent question, um, floating the idea that mouths and genitals do, can, and will come in contact with each other. <laughs> do in fact, so you yeah. can <laughs> potentially have HSV one, you know, other places in the body, HSV two in the oral mucosa, the mouth fancy word for mouth. Um, generally speaking though, I mean, one does tend to stay in the mouth, two more in the genitals. However, anybody with active lesions and lesions, again, it's a fancy word for just a herpes sore. Um, even though if it's on their genitals, you don't want to go into that thinking, oh, well, I won't touch my genitals with their genitals, but I'll touch my mouth with their genitals and this will protect me. I mean, you're, you're still at risk anytime there's there's tissue, skin. Mm-hmm or mucosa, so you can get it.
0: I have two final questions for you. I mean, we could, I, I'm just so lucky because I get I to say, we see you hours. every month or every other month because we could definitely talk for hours. Nah, I gotta rub that in for Anya over here. But I have two final questions for you, Maggie, and I, I can't thank you enough for your time tonight. The The first one is for me. Um, why do you think that STIs are so horrifically stigmatized mm. in our society writ large What contributes. Because sex
2: is stigmatized in our society writ large. And if you or especially, you know, women, femme people, if you're out there seeking sex and pursuing sex for reasons other than, you know, good wholesome marriage and childbearing, there's something wrong with you. So if you're getting sexually transmitted diseases, it's it's a punishment. I mean, that's truly people think of STDs today, STIs, 2023 year of our Lord as punishment, or you know, I mean, as a nurse, I can t- I can't even tell you how many times I've heard other healthcare workers say something like, "Oh well, you know, they deserve that, or that's what you get," or you know, or even the guy coming to the ER with with penile discharge, like, "Oh well, don't put the lidocaine in his antibiotic because he get he deserves that." Like, STDs aren't punishment. Wow. We're we're covered in bacteria. We're covered in viruses and we're humans we don't exist in a vacuum and sex is normal um but i i mean i don't think anybody listening to your podcast is is going to disagree with with what i'm saying sex is stigmatized so anything related to sex is stigmatized absolutely
0: and it's just it's such a terrible shame because as you said like we're talking about, you know, how we can end HIV. And in my opinion, it's the stigma that keeps people from getting tested that allows for people to transmit to other people. And that's how the diseases thrive, right? So it's like, come on, we have got to understand that this is just part of the human experience. These, these, you know, viruses and bacteria have been with us time in memoriam and they will be with us into the future. Right. And we just have to take the very best care of ourselves and our partners that we can. Absolutely. And like, I, I mean, we're huge on STI destigmatization here because it, it literally saves lives. Yeah. It really does. And um, this is a final yes. question from a listener. Um, this listener says it can be very difficult for those of us in non monogamous uh, lifestyle dynamics to discuss with our doctors for fear mm-hmm. of judgment do you have recommendations for how to begin those conversations with like your standard healthcare provider? That's,
2: that's a tough one. That's a great question. And the ugly truth is that on my side of the equation, there are a lot of healthcare providers that are still really judgmental. And sometimes it's as, and I'm using a word much younger than me, but I mean, sometimes it's just a vibe. Sometimes you can tell. And if, if you're getting pushback, from your healthcare provider when you're you're saying, Well, hey, I, I what about STD testing? You know, I, I'm coming in from my annual labs, but I don't see any STD testing. And you know, if they're assuming because you're married that you're you're not at risk for STDs, I mean, it's the best advice I can give is just be frank and open and say, Hey, I'm I wanna make sure I'm getting tested for any STD I could be exposed to, and I wanna tell you a little bit about the type of sex I have or you know, when my last sexual encounter was, so I'm getting the right test. And hopefully this isn't the case, but if you get pushback, if you get judgment, if you get sass attitude or like, oh, you don't need that. Oh, well, honey, you're fine. You don't need that. Then, then walk away. And that's a very, very demoralizing thing for a person to have to endure. And especially when, you know, people are coming to a clinic, coming to see their, their physician or NP or something, looking for help and, 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 but it, it's the ugly truth. Um, yeah. So I think some tips, look specifically for PrEP providers. Look for like your local LGBT clinic, hopefully if you're in a bigger city. Yes. Because a lot, again, we're, we're kind of a niche community. I think I, I alluded or I said earlier, it shouldn't be like a specialty. It should be at the primary care level, but it's not. So seek out the people that that we deal in it every day that we're comfortable talking about it. Because I guarantee if you go to your local, you know, neighborhood get the get the the magazine that's you know look around in the billboards and you'll see somebody offering prep and and even if you're not you know a gay man going to this clinic they they're not going to turn you down from prep to say hey I'm interested in prep and you'll probably have much better odds finding somebody that's compassionate and sane and actually doing their job <laughs> I
1: think those tips, I mean, even for somebody like me who is educated and I have resources and I have never thought about seeking out a sexual health practitioner mm-hmm. based on what services they're providing and in what communities. And I it shouldn't be that groundbreaking, but I am really grateful for those tips and pointers. And I also want to highlight the connection between the question you asked previously, Scarlett, around why STIs are so stigmatized and what we just needed to ask from the question from the listener about judgment in medicine and with medical practitioners, they're intertwined, right? Mm -hmm. Because sex is stigmatized and also because our practitioners and the people who can kind of guide us through all of this are part of our society and it's stigmatized for them too. And so it's one big fabric that we weave that is so dysfunctional and I just think the work that you are doing, Maggie, is so beautiful and heartwarming and important. And I am so, so, so grateful Don't me cry. that <laughs> that you are in Scarlett's life and that she brought you into um, the lives of our listeners because this is such important information. And if everybody had a practitioner like you in their lives, they would feel supported, they would feel cared yes. for, they would feel. Yes like they are normal, and that they matter, and that their sex matters. And all of that is true. And I just can't thank you enough for the work you do.
2: And please, and Scarlett, I'm going to throw you under the bus here. But if any of your listeners are getting pushback from their clinic, their healthcare providers, if they're running into the wall, and they're not able to find somebody, or they feel like they're just not finding a good fit, they're welcome. If they reach out to you or to either of y'all, just reach out to me, and I can... I can do a little sleuthing around, find somebody in that part of the country, or see about telemedicine opportunities, and I can help at least answer
0: questions, point them in the right direction. That is so kind of you. Yeah, open open invitation for listeners to reach out to me, and you know, so I can connect with with Maggie. But like, so glad what you said, Anya. Like, I tell her all the time, like you're amazing I I don't know how I hit the lottery with you but like I I truly like am so taking care of you take such excellent care of that me is. and I thank you all the time and you're like I'm doing the minimum, but I'm like no
2: <laughs> you're not I do want to just brag really quickly that my whole office adores Scarlett she is a delight and whenever Her name is on our schedule. They are always so happy. she usually comes at the end of the day, so everybody's, like, in a good mood. They're like, Scarlet's coming in. We know our patient's going to be just, like, wonderful and a great experience. So, thank you. Doesn't she just carry the most amazing energy with her? (laughs) She does, and we're always just (gasps) delighted.
0: (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. Like, seriously, if this is not your STI testing experience – ladies and gentlemen, you are missing out. That's all I have to tell you because I just get to, I do, I get to skip into Maggie's office and we have a great time and we chat and we catch up and I have zero testing anxiety. I don't have to live with that. I know I'm going to be cared for and all of you deserve that as well. Like there are incredible healthcare providers like Maggie out there who will, you know, give you that same care and attention. So we'll find them. Maggie, thank you so thank much you. for coming on our show. Oh, my thank my you, these
2: are amazing. Thank you for pivoting to slightly less sexy conversation. Like, no, this me. this is what allows sexy conversation to take place. I love it.
0: There you have and it. Please, if
2: I can ever be a resource, I'm here. Oh. Uh,
0: Well, we'd love to have you back maybe in a couple of months. We'd love for you to be uh, the resident, I mean, who else would be, but the resident, you know, healthcare provider of the Yoniverse. So maybe we'll have you back. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. We are so thrilled. Thank you so much, Maggie.
2: Much love to y'all. Have a lovely rest of your week. And thank you, everybody, for for the high school biology class, I just subjected y'all to.
1: <laughs> uh, best biology class ever. I have a 14-year-old going through sex ed, and it is abysmal. So if he were allowed to listen to this show, I would have had him listen to this one. But uh, anyway, thank you all for listening. We are so glad that you joined us this week in the Universe. and we would love to hear from you if you have any other topics you'd like to hear about, if you're interested in coming on and talking with us we're here and we love you and we're so grateful that you took your time to spend it with us so thank you so much
0: take great care everyone bye thanks for spending some time in the yoniverse with us we adore our listeners and we'd love to connect more deeply with you find us on our website theflamingyoni.com and our socials are in the show notes
1: before you leave the yoniverse be sure to give us a 5 star rating and don't forget the review Your feedback means the world to us. We can't wait to light your world on fire next week. And in the meantime, stay sacred. And stay salacious.